Hey friends, welcome back to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and today we get to speak with Father Michael O'Loughlin. Father Michael O'Loughlin, you you may be familiar with him. He's been on my podcast many times before. He's a dear friend of mine. He's also pastor at the Byzantine Proto-Cathedral of St. Mary in Sherman Oaks, California, which is basically just Los Angeles. Um, And he's also, if you are one of my Lux ladies, then you know him quite well because he is the chap for our new Lux app, um, which you can find out more at theluxuniversity.com. But he does an amazing, amazing work there as well. Just a pretty all-around cool dude. Uh, if you are one of my Lux ladies, I you have told me many, many times that Father Michael Lachlan is one of your favorite things that we do inside the Lux app, outside of prayer and the community and all the courses inside LuxU. But um, he comes on almost every single night and prays with us uh, outside of all of his other duties and giving a Sunday live gospel reflection. So he's a pretty great guy, uh, great holy priest, very, very good friend. And today we're actually going to discuss a topic that we've been trying to discuss for a long time, which is asceticism. And it's funny that it's taken us this long to talk about it. You think there might be a problem in our life of why we can't talk about it. Uh, we'll get to that. Um, but we're going to talk about asceticism. and why it's unpopular, why it should be popular, and why we need it now more than ever. So welcome to the podcast, Father Michael. Hello, Leah. Hello, all. Good to be here. Oh, it's so good to have you back, Father. Um, okay, so we are, we're, we're, we're talking about asceticism, asceticism. Let's just right off the bat define that so we all know what it is and where we can go um, from that point. Sure. So asceticism is at its core. It, the word actually is related to the word for athletic training. So it means training ourselves for a purpose or for a goal. Within Christianity, we, we take the, uh, the scriptural uh, definition, if you will, from Matthew 6, 1 through 18, and that is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Those are the methods or, or the, the ways within asceticism that we can practically live out that life of, of spiritual training, which is what asceticism is. Okay. All right. So within, within the church, how do we understand asceticism? Yes. So asceticism is lived out in the church, especially um, in a more intense way in what we call the fasting seasons. Um, in other words, the seasons of preparation for something. So within the church, we, we live lives of training in preparation for an end and something that is always joyful. So basically, we live a life of asceticism through our entire life to prepare for the joys of heaven and to appreciate what it is that Christ gives us. That happens in a small form in the life of the church during these seasons of preparation for a big feast, or we know we fast on Sundays, right? We do, we do an hour fast before receiving the Eucharist. It's kind of the same idea. We're, we're, we're training ourselves so that we make sure that we fully understand what the Eucharist is, what the feast is, and we're preparing ourselves through prayer, fasting, and almsgiving so that we better understand. We all know that there's many people in the world that, that don't appreciate the Eucharist. They don't appreciate the feasts of the church. They don't appreciate the fact that Christ brings us salvation and that he came and is our Messiah. So our training in asceticism is making sure that our persons, ourselves, body, mind, soul, everything, is, is trained and ready to receive the gifts that Christ has to offer. Absolutely. We, we do it all the time w- with an exception. We need to understand that, that a life of asceticism is something that is beautiful and good and joyful. This training makes us more ourselves. This training makes us more human. But there, there is an end to it. There is always a goal. Um, you know, the, the, the images that Christ uses in scriptures of the wineskins, you know, don't put new wine in old wineskins or it'll burst it. In other words, the, the religious leaders at the time, the Jews were talking about, you know, we fast, why don't your followers fast? Well, fasting, one of the three, prayer, fasting, almsgiving, is done for a reason. It's done when we're awaiting the bridegroom. So when the bridegroom comes, there is no more training. Now the training is done and we actually carry out the, the beautiful results of the training, which has made us a better person so that we can receive Christ better. So um, just like during the Lent, we are training for Easter, and Easter is a fulfillment. Our training allowed us to receive Easter in its fullness, 
the same thing happens in our entire life with you know receiving heaven in its fullness but the church even during the week like for instance the way that the church works is that it says okay if we fast on fridays we're not doing it just because fasting again you know you and i will get into you can fast for the wrong reasons you can do ascetics for the wrong reasons you need to say i i'm living the ascetic life on friday because i am done training and i receive christ on sunday so even throughout the whole year just like I said, on Sundays, we fast an hour before receiving the Eucharist so that we can receive the Eucharist. We fast every Friday so that we can receive Sunday. We fast every Lent so we can receive Pascha. We fast during our life so that we can receive heaven. So there, there's these, this give and take. Asceticism is a beautiful thing, but it needs to be done for the end of receiving Christ, for the end of feasting. And so the, the history of the church has has had from i mean i i would i don't know if it's from the very beginning maybe you can help me understand this um but i was i understood it or and was raised that like on fridays you fast from meat correct um and but that doesn't seem to be observed anymore and now it seems to be just allocated to lent um is that some type of like was that like a new thing that that the church allowed us or did it never go away and we just decided to put it down yeah the problem is within within the roman catholic church i don't want to say this is a problem the way that the church has worked is that the bishops um after vatican ii allowed either you do not have meat on sunday or, or on friday excuse me no meat on friday or an alternate penance in other words if if for some reason you decide or are offered meat on a friday or just want to do it the fact of the matter is it's not meat isn't the issue the penance is the issue the fact that we are fasting something is the issue so the church um said you need you either fast for meat on a friday or do something else unfortunately in the minds of the people, they just kind of scrapped it all together. It, it looked like a loosening of the rules, but instead of the more personalized alternate penance, the most Catholics just scrapped it. So, but that rule never changed. We should, every Catholic should still be fasting from meat on Fridays or doing an alternate penance. And I would highly recommend you talk to your pastor, your spiritual director, or someone who's a spiritual leader in your life to make sure that they're holding you accountable for whatever that alternate penance is that you do on Fridays in preparation for Sundays. And we do that on Fridays in observance of Good Friday. Is that correct? Correct. So with, without Christ's death, we wouldn't have his resurrection. So we acknowledge without our fasting on Fridays, we wouldn't be able to fully appreciate the feast of Sunday. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. A lot of sense. It's, it's so interesting, the things that have happened in the church um, that have allowed the occasion for the loosening or just the for, just complete, you know, forgetting yeah. of these practices that really do help us in our spiritual life. Yeah, humans need structure and we need, we need guidance. Actually, this, this gets into the heart of asceticism too. But in the early church, say for the first 300 years of the church, so going way back in history, um, asceticism literally meant dying. I mean, Catholicism, Christianity was, was illegal. If you were found to be Christian for most of those first 300 years of the church, you were killed. And so literally it meant the living life of the faith meant preparing myself where if somebody says, you need to offer sacrifice to the pagan gods or to the emperor, or I'm going to kill you. Asceticism and training to be able to say, I'm not going to do that, having the freedom to do that, and then being killed. The problem was, if you can call it a problem, is after Constantine um, made legal Christianity, and even encouraged it in the kingdom, now they had to find another way of giving of themselves, another way of, of martyrdom, another way of self-gift. Mm. And so... That uh, then took on the form of the, the kind of enlivening the scriptural mandate of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving that then trained us for smaller martyrdoms rather than just giving up the life, which was so available for the three, three, first 300 years. And martyrdom was no longer available to most people after that. It's, we've had times of that, certainly. We still do to this day. Um, but the history of asceticism is actually in training to be able to give your life of martyrdom. And we, we can't forget that that's at the root of what this is. Well, it kind of seems to go back to the foundation of Christianity, which is this, um, which is that we're called to serve. Yeah. 
as Christ served. And so to walk in his steps and what, I mean, what did he do? He served. I mean, he definitely, Christ definitely celebrated there. I mean, his first miracles at a wedding of celebration. So it's not like it's never enjoying the life that God has given us, but at the same time, holding ourselves accountable just because obviously, you know, we're broken people with original sin and all these things that are going on. Okay. So let's talk about really quickly in terms of how asceticism is applied to like seasons like Advent. Uh, Right now, as we release this podcast, it's Advent. And so this is a time most people would think that we do the absolute opposite from asceticism, that we are going to indulge every day of the month of December into January until we have those moments of like, what have I done? I should probably, you know, lose the weight or, or, or return some things that I spent or whatever it might be. We indulge in many different ways, but from what you're telling us, asceticism and Advent actually go together. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So, um, the season of Advent is very much a season of anticipation. And it is, is a season of preparation. So what we need to be doing is we need to be saying, Christ will be born. We, we will remember this. We'll commemorate this event and participate in the event on December 25th. I mean, th- that, that is the day we celebrate Christ being born. But the, the hard thing for us Christians to understand is that, is that we need time to prepare ourselves. We need actions to prepare ourselves for that moment so that we can fully appreciate it. We, we look at the world and we say, most people are, are celebrating Christmas in December. They're celebrating it now. They're, they're celebrating it just the, the season of joy and the season of, of, you know, Christ became a baby and what that means, kind of the, the, the happy, happy, joy, joy of all. But we, what we don't understand is that Christ became incarnate. The second person of the Trinity became a human being for a very specific reason. I mean, I'm a Byzantine Catholic priest, and in our Byzantine Catholic iconography, you look at an icon of Christ dead at, on, on a Good Friday and Holy Saturday, and he's wrapped in a shroud, laying in a tomb. And then you look at the icon of Christ's birth, and Jesus at his birth on Christmas is wrapped in swaddling clothes, laid in a manger. But you look at the two images within iconography, and there's a point to this. Wrapped in swatting clothes, laying in a manger, looks exactly like wrapped in a shroud, laying in a tomb. And so even Christ's incarnation, even him becoming a baby, points to his sacrifice. And so to understand Christmas properly, we need to understand that we need him. When Christmas celebrates Emmanuel, Christmas celebrates God is with us. And unless I say, God, I need you to be with me, I'm not going to fully understand Christmas. So the joy of God being with us. Um, I'm not going to fully understand that unless I've lived a life of asceticism, unless I've said for a period of time, four weeks in the Roman church, 40 days in the Byzantine church, I'm going to pray in anticipation. I'm going to fast in anticipation. I'm going to give alms in anticipation. And what I'm going to realize through this period is that I need God. When I, when I fast and say, I'm not going to just eat or drink or participate in everything I want to do, I realize I'm going to fail at that. My, my intentions for Lent or for Advent saying, I'm just going to give this up. And when I fail at that, I'm realizing I need God. So the longer that Advent season goes on, the more I say, I need God to be with us. And guess what happens on Christmas? God is with us. So there's this, this understanding of need and lack that comes with Advent or any preparation season, when the, and then the celebration that lack, that lack is fulfilled as we celebrate the feast. So we should be holding back a little bit to anticipate Christmas, and then we celebrate from Christmas, and you can celebrate all the way until um, February 2nd, all the way until the presentation of the Temple of Jesus, because that's a 40-day celebration that comes after the 40 days of preparation. So we really have just gotten this backwards. That's that, oh, that, yeah. that that's what I'm taking from this. <laughs> yes, our society has completely flipped it. And I mean, every time we use those trees on down on the on the curb on, on December 26th, and Christmas lights are already going up. I honestly don't personally have any problem with the Christmas lights going up because I see that as a celebration of Saint Nicholas, which is on December 6th. But there is something about saying we have flipped 
the celebration and the preparation. We think we can celebrate without preparing, and that's why we've lost the sense that we need God. So much of our world no longer thinks it needs God because it doesn't know how to prepare. It doesn't know how to live the ascetical life that teaches us that we need God so that when he comes, we say, this is what I've needed. This is what I've been asking for for these 40 days, and now my prayer has been answered. I mean, this just makes so much sense, even on like a biological, psychological level of the human person. I mean, just the dopamine responses that our body receives from food and drink and different types of pleasures, and that when you fast from them, you kind of reset yourself into a place of, uh, I mean, someone would say deeper peace or self-awareness of what you need and don't have. Uh, And so that preparation for these seasons, I just think it's so interesting because it, I mean, this would be really common to talk about around that Lent time. Uh, But talking about asceticism with Advent in particular, and as well as throughout the year, as we've already mentioned, and the traditions within the Catholic church that have not been um, have not been really followed through. It seems like after Vatican II, it kind of allowed, it was the occasion for some of those loosenings of, uh, ideas that like, oh, well, you know, if you don't do it, try and do something else, which kind of just gives the allowance of people just to not to do it really. Right. I I I think I if I tell leaders, my kids, like, listen, I really need you to clean up your room, but if you don't clean up your room, could you find something else in the house to clean up? <laughs> there is no way they would do anything. They'd be like, wait, wait a minute. So there's an option of me not cleaning up my room, and you're saying that I've just got to clean something else up? Sure. Sure, mom. I'll definitely do that. Like, they would, they would never pick up a thing in my home. Right. I think our, our church leaders had too much too much faith in what the individuals were doing, but we have busy lives, dear bishops. We have busy lives. Like we get caught up in so many things in our daily life that we're not going to just pause and go, oh, have I been fasting today? I feel like fasting. So I I agree with you. Like I, I like the fact that the bishops are saying, you know, personalize it right if, if you're right. if you're vegetarian then life is easy because i just said no meat on friday so personalize it. i get that but but we need spiritual fathers and mothers we need our, our good pastors to guide us and yes i think there needs to be some further guidance and accountability when it comes to the life of asceticism the fasting that allows us then to appreciate the feast and like you said there's obviously the balance in it it's not i mean you can do you can practice asceticism for the wrong reasons and you're not going to get the effect that, 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 you know, I think that the Lord has called us to within it um, for doing it for those wrong reasons. But it, but I think, I mean, if, if the human condition has taught us anything over the past, you know, thousands of years, over thousands of years, we've been in existence, give me a break. I mean, but like holding our feet to the fire is actually a good thing. There, there's a great lack in the world of, of people saying, I need to change. I mean, when I go on social media, I hear so many people being critical of something Pope Francis said or something this person said, and, and they're always saying, this needs to change. It's not according to the truth, which is oftentimes true. And I, I support that most of the time, but I rarely see on social media, man, I was challenged by this. I need to change. Like this, this has inspired me to put in some work or my mind changed on this. I used to think this, but now I think this, the, 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 the heart of our Christian lives is really filled with the sense of what do I need to do to grow? What do I need to do to change? And, and we rarely see that as the fruits of the life of the church. It's usually condemning others rather than desiring to change ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I, 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 I totally understand that. That makes a lot of sense. And that re- what you just said right there really is a calling out on, on everybody. There's a lot of chatter, uh, not just on social media, but it definitely happens there of uh, frustrations within church leadership. And again, I'm with you. Uh, I'm frustrated too. But how often have we said, 
okay, this one bishop or cardinal or the pope has said this or not said this or not responded to this, and this upsets me. How have we like taken that same thread and put it right back to us and our heart and said, okay, so what does this mean for me to change? How am I not living out an integrated Catholic life as I'm calling out and I notice in these other people? Yeah, I, I think I, I, I love that song. I can't recommend it. I don't even remember who it's by, but the refrain is just, I want to get better over and over and over again. And there's days where I'll like walk around the house singing that at the top of my lungs, just I want to get better because that, that, that is the, the attitude we should have. We should say, what do I need to do, Jesus, to get better? And that acknowledges that I need to change. I need to convert. I need to heal. And, and we so often in our spiritual life, especially in our public spiritual life, we're, we're not, we're saying, I need others to change rather than I need to get better. I need to heal. And that's the, the main role the church should play in our lives is convicting us. St. John Chrysostom, the, the fourth century preacher, Chrysostom just means golden tongued. They gave him that name because he was such a good preacher. They used to say he would afflict the comfortable and, con- and comfort the afflicted. That's what his homilies did. Afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. There's something about when, when we hear good preaching or good guidance in the church, we should say, if, if, I, am, if I am just feeling down and I, and I hate myself and I'm depressed and despairing, a good homily should say, have comfort, have comfort. You are loved by God and he's patient with you. He'll give you time. And if I'm feeling arrogant or presumptuous or, or in any way condemning of others, a good homily should say, I'm going to convict you. You're too comfortable. What do you need to do to change to get better and focus on that first? Happy Advent. I am, I just, I love this time of year. I love it. Advent is so beautiful. All the preparation, all the glowing candles, all the lights, everything is just so beautiful and it's all growing and glowing. And as you know, I have created the very first Catholic app for Catholic women called the Lux U app. And Lux is actually Latin for light. It's Latin for light. So as we light those Advent candles around that Advent wreath that you might have in your home, I want to suggest that maybe you should give yourself a gift this Christmas, this Advent, in knowing your faith more and connecting with other Catholic women and in deepening your prayer life with live guided prayer and even have your own Lux Chaplain and Father Michael Lachlan inside the app. So maybe you should give yourself the gift of Lux this year, the gift of light this year, and deepen your faith, know your faith better, and connect with other Catholic women. If that sounds like something that you would like to look more into, come and check out our website, theluxuniversity.com, find out what we offer, take a look, And maybe this is the year, maybe this Advent is the time when you decide that you are also a light. You are called to be a light to this world, to share your faith and your life. And we would be honored to help you do that. So come and join us inside Lux. Hi, I'm Samantha, and I'm a current Luxie member. I encourage all of you to join Luxie because it will really help you get closer into your faith life. And you won't feel so alone anymore. It's like one big family. Is let me ask you this: Is the goal of asceticism detachment, so that we can attach more to Christ? I mean, is that the goal of asceticism, or or if and if not, could you help me understand that? Yes. So detachment is absolutely the very beginning of asceticism. So the three steps of the spiritual life. Um, there's different terminology. In the Byzantine Catholic Church, we call them catharsis, theoria, and theosis. And I think in the Roman Catholic Church, they're called um, the purgative way, the illuminative way, and the contemplative way. So just three basic steps in the spiritual life. The first thing we do is we purge catharsis, we empty ourselves of what is not good for us. And this is the detachment you talked about. So asceticism is that first step. It's saying, it's saying, you know, what am I doing that I should not be doing? And what am I not doing that I should be doing? And what is in my life that is getting in the way of embracing that freedom? The second thing, illumination or theoria, theory means just like looking at this. So once I've purged myself through Christ's power of all the things that are getting in the way, then I can look clearly. What, what, what is the, uh, what is the, the Beatitude say? Blessed are the pure of heart, for they shall see God. 
There's something about purifying, cleaning our heart that we can find God there. God dwells in our heart. So to see him, we need to purify him. So we purify ourselves through his power and then we look and then we can see clearly. Once we can see clearly, which is step two, and then we have union, then we have relationship, which is the contemplation or the theosis, the union with God. So I would say at the heart of asceticism, the goal of asceticism is freedom. It's, it's true freedom to pursue the good and to receive God. And the first step, like you said, is detachment, is separation from the things that are keeping us from seeing him clearly, separation from the things, namely, that we're addicted to. So I think there's kind of two worlds within that freedom. There's, there's do you have the freedom to do something? If I said to you listeners of the podcast, do you have the freedom to go an entire 24 hours without jumping on social media? You have the freedom to, to listen to your elderly neighbor for an hour. You have the freedom to talk to your sister on the phone without criticizing your mother. You know, the, the, these, are, these are freedoms to do. Do I have that freedom? And if not, then I need to, to train myself through asceticism to have that freedom. And then there's the negative aspect. Do I have the freedom to, to not do these things? Um, you know, do I have the freedom to, to, for those with certain addictions to not drink? to not be gluttonous, to not have dessert, to not look at pornography. You know, these things that we do that we want to stop doing. True freedom means that I, can, I do intentionally what I want and I don't do intentionally what I want based upon the truth, beauty, and goodness of Jesus Christ. So when I, when I have those freedoms, that's what the ascetical life is. So at the heart of it is the church has said, don't eat meat on Fridays. And so we say, if I can't even go one day without eating meat, how can I go a day or a year or a lifetime without, you know, criticizing my neighbor? And then in addition to that, I say, okay, so if I can't even go a day without meat, then let me go one hour without meat. This is the ascetical life. It's saying, at what point do I stop, start my training so that I can say no to the things I need to, see, need to say no to, yes to the things I should say yes to. And if I want to be able to do those things in large ways, I start by doing them in small ways. You would never expect one of your children to volunteer to go shovel the neighbor's walkway when it snows. But you, you start training your children to do those big acts of generosity by saying, look, little one, I, you know, I, I'd like you to clear off the table or clean your room. Those are the small things that train into the big things. The ascetical life trains us in small things and gets us prepared. So if I can say no to meet on Fridays, then I can probably at one point say no to gossip about my mom. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I think if people are unfamiliar with, with these stages of the spiritual life that you're talking about, um, praise be to God, my, my background uh, from the Augustine Institute with my master's in theology really helped me understand. And I was, I mean, I had to, I was forced to for the classes, read a lot about this. Um, and I'm glad I was, because if I wasn't, again, holding my feet to the fire, I would not have read it. Um, so if you're unfamiliar with those, at least in the Roman rite, as Father Michael's mentioned, there are these three ways, as he's mentioned, um, usually called the purgative way, the illuminative way, or the unitive way, or contemplative, but Unitive way is a lot of times what people, um, how they discuss it. And just so we understand, because I think when we talk about asceticism, it seems like it's an act for, a spiritual act for those higher up on the spiritual ladder to do like that's well well yeah i mean like i'm not a monk so i mean i don't i don't do that i don't i I know i'm not i'm not you know a religious so i don't really do that as much like that's for them to do because they have that life to do that but that's not the case and in fact as father michael you have beautifully put it and explained kind of where it lands in these stages of spiritual life it actually lands in the first stage which is the purgative stage of, as how we describe it as Roman Catholics, which is that it's a state of beginners. That's like when we're trying to overcome our daily temptations and practice and practicing the virtues, um, trying to, uh, you know, fight off that attachment to venial sin. Um, and even before that, I, we should say that there's actually another layer to this um, to even get to these three stages of the spiritual life, you need to be out of mortal sin. So before even the purgative way, there's this thing of like, okay, let's get out of the death trap. Right. Right. 
and then start into these 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 stages. I just find it interesting for me that this that asceticism and practicing this in our daily life um, is not for like those those higher stages, those higher levels of the spiritual life, but it's actually in the very beginning. Yes, absolutely, and 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 it, it is important to say that like the life of asceticism and even the purgative way, there's only three steps. So we, we oftentimes jump kind of in and out of them. And right. This is, this is right. God's guidance, but you're right. The, the, the very beginning of a spiritual life is not coming up with a brand new program for your parish that is going to move hearts and have, you know, 10 million followers on social media because this program is saving so many <laughs> souls, right? <laughs> that, that, that's not like, that, that is not at the heart of the spiritual life. That, that is, if you have someone that's addicted to something trying to run a program, it's not going to work because it's not about the brilliance of ideas that are going to move people and inspire them. It's, it's about the personal holiness. One of the greatest results of Vatican II what was the, the, the call to personal holiness, the universal call to holiness of everybody, including the lay people, you and I, who are, who are living the daily grind. And yes, the, the very beginning, what can you do to build up the kingdom of God? What can you do to prevent all the fears in the church this today? There is be holy. And how do you be holy? Yes, make sure you are free from, from mortal sin. Go to confession. And then find the things that you're a slave to. Find the things that you're addicted to, the things that you cannot do, even though you want to and Christ calls you to, the things you don't want to do, you know, you are doing them. And then take a couple steps back and say, how do I live a life of, of, of virtue? Virtue just means good habits. How do I build up good habits that allow me to be patient with myself and slowly but surely take the baby steps necessary to get rid of these bad habits, these slaveries, these addictions? Yeah. Yeah. It's so, I mean, I, I love this topic. I think it was actually you, Father, and your, um, your crazy co-host at times on Catholic Stuff You Should Know <laughs> podcast that spoke about this years ago. Um, and you guys were talking about it because you were mentioning the book, uh, what is it? The Noonday Devil, is that it? Oh yeah, The uh, Noonday Demon. Um, I forget the, the whole title of it, but yeah, ask your husband. Your husband actually knows it better than I do. <laughs> Ricky does. We, we've yeah. talked about that too. Yeah, so Ricky was listening to that podcast in particular, and next thing I know, two days later, thank you, Amazon Shipping, um, we are reading uh, The Noonday Devil, and I'm going to look it up right now just to make sure um, I have this right, and yep, there okay. it is, The Noonday Devil. I'll add this in the show notes if anybody wants a book about... Um, the demon of is it achadia is that how you say it yeah different ways achadia asadia but I, I say achadia achadia asadia whatever vice also known as sloth or sloth depends on how you want to say that too <laughs> right golly everyone everyone's so, so we complicate things so much sometimes in the church i know everyone gets so pissed we know what you mean. like that's not how you say it well you well, do you know what i'm talking about <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Great. So thank you for just, you know, stopping the conversation so that we could say that you know something more than somebody else. Right. Anyway, I am I'm having an argument with nobody right now, basically. But I have but there there is listen, that person's out there and you know who they are. I okay. like your soapbox. It's, it's <laughs> thank you. I've got a lot of them. <laughs> I, I have a lot of them over here. They're just all around. Anyway, but we, but that's how we actually started to really dive into this topic more than just the very surface level of what, what I, I would imagine that maybe a lot of people are at. Um, you know, I, I understand you're busy. There's a lot of things going on. You're trying to engage in your spiritual life. And so you hear asceticism and you're thinking, okay, yeah, something I got to give up or uh, maybe it's Lent and then you just move on. But reading that book really really helped and it really convicted Ricky and I of like, oh my gosh. Um, and it doesn't mean laziness, actually. It can manifest as like busyness or activism. And, and today, when we're so active um, on social media, excuse me, and we're so, um, we're, we're so quick to join arms and, and become activists for certain causes, maybe they're good causes, but these also could be distractions 
that we're not quite aware of yet because we have been so attached to so many things and have not been practicing the spiritual art of asceticism in our daily lives. And so I love that we're talking about this right now, especially when it's outside of the traditional season of Lent where we normally would. And actually it's Advent. We're now in Advent technically, as we, as I said, as we record this podcast and as it, as it comes out. And so like we, we, we wouldn't even think about it. I wouldn't think about, I, I, I truly wouldn't um, before reading that book, I wouldn't think about asceticism when it comes to Advent. Cause I'd be like, well, no, I mean, um, I don't, I mean, I think it sounds silly, but I'd be like, well, no, we're getting ready for a baby. We're excited and it's Christmas and the Christmas time. And but you get so caught up that we forget that, like you said, we're always in this place of preparation. And, and really that is what our life is this side of heaven, isn't it? It is. And so these, these are little microcosms. These seasons of the church are, are little microcosms. They, they're, they're kind of our entire life encapsulated in one 40 to 80 day season. And, and it's, it's important to understand, like at the end of Lent, if Jesus says to me on Holy Thursday, and Jesus comes to me and says, Michael, what do you need from me? And I said, Lord, I've lived 40 days of realizing how weak I am. I tried to, to fast to give up certain things. I didn't do it. I, I tried to, to be in control. I tried to, to lead my own life with responsibility. At the end of 40 days, I've realized I cannot do it and I cannot save myself. So what I need you to do, Jesus, is I need you to die for me. Give yourself completely out of love for me on a cross and three days later to rise. So literally, and that's what he offers. That's what he does. So he says, that's what we should be asking for at the end of Lent. At the end of Advent, Jesus comes to us and says, what do you need, Michael? And I say, I need God with us. I need Emmanuel. I need your presence. I need you who are God for all eternity to become a human being. I need you to become what I am and so build up my dignity so that you can renew this covenant so that you can give yourself on the cross and so that I can live with you for all eternity in heaven. I need you to become me. So these are not questions we can answer right off the bat. We need that time of preparation. So that's what this season of Advent is. It's, it's time of, of training to be able to answer the question that Jesus says, what do you need, little one? And I can answer, I need you to come as a baby, which is, of course, the right answer to the right question, because that's what Advent does to prepare us for Christmas. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. It's so beautiful when you think about it like that. And it, I, I, it, for me, it takes the scariness away of this practice that we're so, we don't like being said we can't, we can't have something. We don't, we don't like being, being told, excuse me, that we can't have something. Um, yeah. Especially in, you know, the Western Hemisphere and the United States. Like, it's just like, well, I can have anything I want. This is America. You know? right. I can buy anything I want. I can get anything I want. I know somebody who's got it on Facebook Marketplace that I can get it when I want it. But to choose to have less yes. is freedom. It is. It really is. And uh, it's really beautiful. I, I, I really hope that if anything, this conversation has reignited the commitment to at least fasting on Fridays from meat, abstaining from Friday, uh, from, from meat on Fridays, um, to bring that back into your prayer life, into your spiritual life. And I mean, uh, and, and then especially like, when, if you, if you live on the coast, this is probably not a difficult thing for you to do because you're around amazing options for fish. But if you're in the middle of the United States, <laughs> <laughs> you're looking at grilled cheese because you don't want to order the shrimp scampi on the menu because you know how how long has that shrimp been packed in ice from the bean, coast bean and cheese burritos that's what we grew up on in new mexico mexican food that's what we had on fridays we went for mexican food there you go it's, i mean i don't know about you but like that would not be a, a I, I might have to find something else that would not be hard for me i would actually prefer that sometimes over to me but but i really hope that that this conversation at least you know um it brings 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 you listeners to a place where like maybe you want to take this on like this is what our church has been saying it didn't let it go. It didn't say, you don't have to do this anymore. Um, 
to recenter our heart and our lives back on Christ Jesus. Um, as you know, from the cradle to the cross, isn't that St. St. John who said that St. John of the cross who said that? Ooh, sorry. You're calling me out. I'm not sure. Well, somebody said it and it was a saint and I believe it's a St. John saint and I just don't know which one, but, um, talks frequently about this, um, the pathway of our whole life is always going to be from the cradle to the cross. Mm -hmm. Um, and as you've mentioned so beautifully, even like that with the manger and wrapping in the swaddling clothing and the swaddling clothing that wrapped Christ again, um, at, you know, as he was taken down from the cross and his mother held him once again, um, that is a powerful, powerful thing to contemplate, especially during this season at Advent and what we can do, what we can give up for both of those moments and everything in between in that life of Christ so that we can too live in that. Father, before, before we leave, a um, couple things. I've got one question. What are some practical, what would you suggest or maybe some practical things or just ideas, just ideas that you have for practicing asceticism during Advent in particular? Yes. Very good question. Um, so I, th if we take the three aspects of asceticism, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, I always recommend to my spiritual children to take them separately. Um, so in other words, we need to make sure we're doing all three things. Some of the fathers describe them as if you can see Advent or Lent as, as, a, as a sea of water, and you're going to cross the sea on a boat to get to the other side, which is the feast that the, the fasting and the almsgiving are the oars that, prepare, that propel us forward, and the prayer is the rudder. Because the prayer is what guides the boat, makes sure it's going in the right direction, because fasting and almsgiving can be done so easily for the wrong reasons. And so um, the, I'm sorry, did you ask what a challenge is that? Is that sorry, I'm, I'm getting, uh, getting lost <laughs> in my own thought here. Is, is that what you asked? <laughs> I love you, Father. You're so great. typical of me, I know. But I, you're like, um, I'm gonna keep talking. Wait a minute, I don't know what I'm talking about. Get on anymore. my soapbox. What am I answering again? I, I, okay. So I, I'm, I'm asking, not, not, not the challenge yet. Well, we'll okay. get to the challenge in a minute. Okay. I'm asking you for like practical. I'm just, just suggestions for what one could maybe do to incorporate asceticism during Advent in particular. Because maybe some people are like, I mean, I, do I, do I, so does that mean I give up all my Christmas cookies or like, you know, so just suggestions for Advent. Yes. Okay. So I would say take the three separately, like I said earlier, make sure that you are praying prayers of anticipation. Um, I, if you want to, Lee, you can post a couple of the ones that I use myself. Um, that there's a couple of prayers in the Byzantine tradition that are specifically prayers for Advent, for preparation. And then I have also a list of, of scripture references that Old Testament epistles and gospel that are all oriented towards awaiting the coming of the Messiah, which is, of course, what we're doing in this time. So change your prayer. Make sure that your prayer is prayer of anticipation, whether it comes to scripture passages, prayer, or even, you know, like, like hymns, like O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is a beautiful Advent hymn, right? It's not a Christmas hymn. <laughs> it's an Advent hymn. It's meant, you know, we're, we're, we're asking that he comes. You can even, you know, play, play that and other Advent hymns or memorize them, sing to yourself, whatever you do to orient your prayer towards anticipation of the coming of the Christ child. Fasting, yes. Observe the, the church's traditions. And what I would say is, you're right, Leah, psychologically, we don't like being told what to do. So do, in other words, do more than the church asks. The church asks for no meat on Friday, add no meat on Wednesdays, add no meat on Mondays, something which are also traditional fasting days. So do something more <coughs> than the church asks, because then you're not saying, oh, mean old church is telling me what to do. You're saying, I'm actually understanding that this is a good and beautiful thing that leads to appreciation of the feast, and I'm going to do something more. So... If you want to be creative about this, this, our society, like we talked about earlier, is thinks it's already living Christmas. So our society thinks that, that oh, we're already eating our candy and having our work Christmas parties. We're already decorating the tree. If you can sacrifice something of that, dial it back a little bit, um, whether you like all that stuff or not, dial it back so that, that, that you're fasting from or abstaining from something that then when Christmas comes, you can live it out in its fullness. Up for, for 40 days, you can live out this Christmas celebration as fullness. So I'm, each person has different desires when it comes to that. But I think a creative thing to do during Advent is resist society's thinking that we're already celebrating Christmas. So to do something that you like Christmas to be, 
take something you like Christmas to be, don't do it during Advent, and then do it bonkers when Christmas comes so that you can say, I was fasting from it, now I'm feasting from it. Third aspect, almsgiving. Make sure that you intensify your almsgiving. In other words, when you're giving to charity, you're thinking about others. The part of the thing I, that may, people do that I like a lot is if you're fasting from something like, hey, I'm going to get black coffee at, at Starbucks instead of the frou-frou, whatever I, I like to get normally. I'm going to save money by doing that. I'm going to give that money to the poor. So finding creative ways that also have to do with Christmas, of ways of saying, I'm anticipation of Christmas, I'm going to give charitably, give of myself, I'm going to go work at a homeless shelter, I'm going to go wash some homeless person's feet, whatever it might be, I'm going to give alms, give of myself in a way also that makes sure those three things, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving are all engaged separately but equally, and then done in a creative way that, that shows anticipation to the coming of the Christ child at Christmas. I love that. And especially if you are in, a, in the family boat as I am with spouse and kids, this is such a great practice and exciting thing to do with the kids. Um, I mean, I guess I find it exciting to, to help them prepare for Christmas and what it's about. I, I love those suggestions. Finally, Father, why don't you grab? Why, why don't you give us a challenge um, as we wrap up this this uh, conversation on asceticism? Yes. Um, so my challenge to everybody listening is a challenge that I'm also giving myself, and that is that asceticism leads to freedom. If I if I said to myself, "Can you go forty days without hitting snooze?" And if, if my spiritual father said that, do you have the freedom to go 40 days without hitting snooze? I don't think I could say that right now. I am a slave to hitting snooze and I cannot guarantee you. So that's something I need to work on to say, I need the freedom to do something or to not do something in this case, namely hitting snooze. So my, my challenge is to take those two things separately. Take something you want to do that you can't at this point in your life, a freedom to something positive, and then take something that you are doing that is not helpful, that is actually sinful or hurting you, and take those two things, what you want to do and what you want to stop doing, and then dial back, and being patient with yourself, dial back your actions so that you're doing baby steps so that one day that will be fulfilled. And the challenge will be, say, during four weeks of Advent. So say I will say on Christmas morning, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have worked on now for four weeks or in the Byzantine church for 40 days, 40 days of hitting snooze less and less and less. I'm trading myself to be able to, to get up without hitting snooze. And that is such a hard thing to do. I, you, you had a challenge like this years ago, didn't you? The, the minute of, what'd you call it, Leah? Well, it's it's heroic thank, minute. Thank you for thinking that's me, but that's San Jose okay. Maria Scriva. Okay. <laughs> but yes, that's the heroic minute. I did, the heroic minute. I, I guess I could make help make it popular again. As sad as that is, um, the heroic minute challenge, which, yeah, we should. Now that I'm thinking about that, we should do that, especially for Advent. Um, the heroic minute challenge, which is whatever time you choose to set your alarm. Everybody's got different schedules. That we're not saying a certain time is for everybody, but whatever it is at that moment, and this this comes from Saint Jose Maria Scriva. You you just get up. You get your butt up. You greet the Lord. You thank God for your life, and you get on throughout your day. But you don't hit snooze. That's the the big thing. Is that you're you're going to you're going to sacrifice what you want, which is more comfort, more sleep, the warmth of the covers, and you're going to get up when you said you're going to get up. And yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. Full disclosure, my. I don't think I don't think I could even like my body is so used to hitting snooze. I don't even think I have the freedom to do it. So in other words, my my ascetical light, my ascetical goal is to say, what are the baby steps to being able to say I've now put the work in the daily grind of, of not hitting snooze, whether that means I do it one time less or whatever it might be, the baby steps to get there. So my challenge is take one thing that you want to do that you can't and take something you want to stop doing. That, that right now you are doing and, and dial it back, usually through the guidance of a spiritual director or just prayer with Jesus and, and find the, the, the very beginning baby steps to get that done. If you struggle to pray a holy hour, start on the first day of Advent praying a holy five minutes. 
then add five minutes to it the next day, five minutes to it the next day. This is the action of asceticism that then gives us eventually through this practice and through Christ's power, the, the freedom to live these things out. That's my challenge. Love it. Very, very good. Father Michael, you are amazing. We'll make sure that we include those prayers that you had mentioned um, and some links for you to learn a little bit more. And if you want to grab that book on asceticism in the show notes, it's always great to have you on. I know I'm going to have you back because I rope you into a lot of crazy things here. (laughs) I go willingly. I love it. I love what you do. You do a lot of good work. But it's it's great to have you, Father. I am so, so excited about this podcast and this, uh, this, this conversation, especially as we enter into Advent. So thank you so much. First off, I just want to say happy Advent and thank you to all of my listeners. God love you. I am so, so grateful for your support, especially if you support the podcast um, at Patreon. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash Leodaro so that we can continue um, this. I really do think it's beautiful work that we get to share uh, our faith and wonderful people in the world who are doing great things and just inspire a little bit more hope. So thank you if you are part of that process of helping us do that. Um, and I really do pray that this Advent is a time for you to take that challenge as Father Michael said. I know I'm going to. And really let us prepare. Let us prepare for the one who saves us all. So thank you so much. And remember, whatever you do today, do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. I'll talk to you later.